It was a family of five, a father, a mother, and three small children. They lived in a small country uh, known as Armenia. It was, it's a tiny little country in Central Asia that used to be a part of the Soviet Union. This family of five had an unexpected tragedy. The father passed away. And the mother, now trying to take care of her own three children and finding enough work and food to, to help everybody survive, decided to do what a lot of people from Armenia do. They moved from Armenia to Moscow, Russia, in order to find work. For the first couple months in Moscow, they struggled to find ways to just survive. And the mother uh, could not find a job. She came across a group of people, and in that uh, conversation, they said, we have work that you can do, and uh, we want to have you come and check it out. And she said, well, I have three children, and I don't know where to put them. We don't have family in Moscow. And they said, well, we know uh, an older lady, a babushka, that you can leave your three kids with for a little while and come and check out the work, and then go back and, and pick up uh, your three kids at the end and decide if this is what you want to do. She said, great. She dropped the kids off at this older lady's house and went with this group of people uh, to find out about this work. The mother never returned. It was a human trafficking organization, and they took this mother from Moscow, Russia, across the borders and into Amsterdam, and the mother simply never came back for her children. The grandmother was not a part of it, didn't know. All she knew was that she had three children, and the mom never returned. Uh, somehow, through time, those three children were taken from Moscow, Russia, back to their home country in Armenia. The mother, by God's grace, was rescued from that industry in Amsterdam and found herself in a safe house for women who had come through that kind of an industry. In that safe house, there was a Nazarene lay woman from the Netherlands who would go and volunteer, and she met this woman. Knowing that the Church of Nazarene is all throughout the world, the, the woman said, uh, do you think you could help me find my children? And the woman said, from the Nazarene woman said, well, do you know what city they're in in Armenia? And the mother said, well, I'm not even completely positive they're back in Armenia. I think they might be, but I don't know what city. And the Nazarene laywoman said, I, I'll try, I'll see what I can do, but I, I, I just don't know. We'll pray. She contacted the Nazarene missionary at the time there. Uh, his name was Cliff Wright. And she contacted Cliff and she said, Cliff, here's the story. Uh, do you think you can help us? And Cliff asked the normal questions. Uh, do you know where the children, three children are? What city they're in? And, and uh, the lady said, no, we, we're not even completely positive that they're there, but just please spread the word and we'll pray. Cliff passed the word on to uh, one of our pastors in Armenia in the uh, capital city of Yerevan. His name is Karen. And he said, Karen, here's the story. And Karen asked the normal question, do you know what city? They said, no, uh, but we'll pray. And Karen, then about two weeks later, went to a prayer meeting in Yerevan of interdenominational prayer meeting of pastors. And they were praying together. And Karen stood up and he told the story of these three children and he said, I have no idea where to go other than to God. Would you help us pray? And that group prayed that day. At the conclusion of the prayer meeting, one of the pastors from another city in Armenia came forward and said, Karen, uh, I don't know if this is any connection at all, but in my town, there are three children that nobody knows where they came from. And they're living in a small little container. 
And if you are interested in coming and seeing, maybe there's a connection. So Cotton and his wife headed up to this small town the next day, and they knocked on that container door and entered in. And back in the corner of this small little container that was, called a, that was supposed to be a house were three children, and it's the three children of the story I've just told you today. Cotton and his wife took these three children back to their own house and brought them to church for six months and cared for them in the Yerevan Church of the Nazarene. And these three children, all three of them, came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and today have been reunited with their mother, who also is a believer. It sounds a little bit like a movie. I think it should be a good movie. Uh, But what it is, it's a story of something that only God can do. Only God can restore people and bring them back when they have been separated from Him. Only God can bring the story together and bring people back to Him who've been separated from Him. My name is Scott Rainey. I, uh, my wife, Jenny, and I have uh, two children, Rebecca, who is almost nine, and Sarah, who is almost five. And we were pastors in the Church of Nazarene for 18 years in three different churches. And about a year and a half ago, we began to sense that God was doing something different, something new in our life. And we uh, prayed through over a, a month time and knew that God wanted us to become missionaries in the area called the CIS, which stands for Commonwealth of Independent States, which is the former Soviet Union countries. And some of the ushers I know have our prayer cards, and if they are willing to just come and just pass them down the aisles to uh, everybody, I just ask that you take these and put them in your Bible or on your refrigerator or something like that to pray for our family. You'll get to meet my wife and our children on that card. Uh, so you can see a little bit more of who we are and what our, what our prayer, specific prayer needs are. We moved to Kiev, Ukraine, in April of 2012, and we serve in the Commonwealth of Independent States. The Commonwealth of Independent States is, is basically the former Soviet Union. It's 12 countries that used to be a part of the Soviet Union before its collapse in 1991, all 12 countries are Russian-speaking countries, but they're all beginning to go back. Some of, all of them, except Russia, are beginning to go back to their native tongue as well. But still today, the Russian language is a language that allows you to get around to all these different countries and communicate with the people that are there. The Church of Nazarene is currently in six of the 12 countries. We have six more countries still to enter in the CIS, and we are in six of them. We're in Russia Armenia, Ukraine, Moldova, Kazakhstan, and then a sixth country that I'm not able to say uh, as it goes over the internet, uh, but this is a country that we call a creative access country. It's a country where the government is against the spread of Christianity in their country, and so it would put our people in danger. Uh, But we have a sixth country that we have uh, ministries and churches actively reaching lost people in those countries. Our ministries include uh, over 45 churches on five different districts. We have compassionate ministry centers, and in Ukraine we have six drug and alcohol rehab centers that you'll hear a little bit more about uh, shortly this morning. My job responsibilities particularly include discipleship and leadership development, all primarily associated with the pastors. I was asked to bring my 18 years of pastoral ministry experience to the field 
and really primarily work with the pastors to develop them and, uh, and help them to develop and grow in their ministry in helping the church to reach the world around it. As we uh, arrived, one of the first things you do when you arrive in a country like this is you have to learn the language. And this was, I'm 40, 42 years old now, and this was my first time to have to learn a second language. It is not an easy task. And Russian, particularly, is very, very difficult. They like to say that it's the eternal uh, language because it takes an eternity to learn. Um, And I would agree that this is uh, what it's like. And I have made a number of mistakes when I'm learning the language, and some of them can be very embarrassing. I want to share with you one of them. Uh, we got, uh, we do public transportation in Kiev. It's a, Kiev is a city of about four and a half million people. It's a large city. And so we take public transportation around. And one of the ways of transport is what are called mashrukas, which are buses. They have seats, about 25 seats on the bus, but rarely are there less than 40 people on the bus. And so we have a little fun thing we like to say, how many people can fit on a mashruka? And the answer is at least one more. That's their mentality. They're going to push their way on. And so uh, most of the time on a mashruka, I'm standing in the middle of the bus, not seated as I travel, and you're, you're hold on and you're moving like this. It's kind of unusual for Americans when they come. When we have work and witness teams, it's always one of the fun experiences to see them get on one of these buses uh, because they have to pack on. And we're used to having distance between each other. If you're in a grocery store and someone walks between you and an aisle, um, even if they don't touch you, they'll usually say, excuse me, as they walk by. Well, on this bus, I was probably touching eight strangers. And uh, they were right close to you, and it's hard to... to, to it's, for an American, you don't know where to look. You're just kind of looking around. And it came time for me to get off the bus. It was my stop, and I began to kind of move between people. I had been there about a month And I was bumping people as the bus was moving, and I was trying to get through. And I came to a man who was about my size, and I could not get around him. He was blocking the way. And he was looking right at me. He was facing me, and his his face was this close to me. And I could not remember. I was trying to remember what the word is or what the phrase is for excuse me. As I had been there just a month and learning these different phrases, that phrase is uh, isveniti, but what came out was something different. I said another phrase. I said, idisuda, which means come here. <laughs> His eyes got really big. He backed away from me. And it was perfect. I was able to walk right around just exactly what I wanted. But I didn't know what I had said until later. I said, this is what happened. And I knew I had said something wrong because of the way he looked at me. But uh, I have made a number of mistakes. That's just one of them. And it's a part of learning a language. But as I learn the language, I've discovered some really neat things about the Russian language. You know the history of the Soviet Union, a a country, a government that intended, with everything in it, very intentional, to take God out of society and say there is no God. They intentionally tried to convince the people that there was no God. Well, the language tells a different story. In fact, one of the first words you learn when you go to Russia is you learn the word spasiba. Everybody say spasiba. Spasiba means thank you. But uh, the interesting part of this word is it actually comes from two words. It comes from a word spasitiel and a word bog. 
Spasitiel, it's spasiba, spasitiel bog. What it really means is spasitiel means savior or save, and bog is God. And so when people say thank you, when they say spasiba, what they're actually saying is a little prayer, God save you. For what you've done for me, may God save you. That's what they're saying when they say spasiba. So for 80 years, while the government tried to snuff out uh, the, the belief in God among the people, the people walked around every day throughout the former Soviet Union and said little prayers to God for each other. God save you. I came across uh, one, another word I won't make you say. It's Voskresenia. Voskresenia is the word for Sunday. Interestingly enough, the beginning of that word, Voskres, means resurrection. And so the word for Sunday, their word, every time they say Sunday, they're talking about the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So for 80 years, while the government tried to say there was no God, the people across the former Soviet Union would describe the day Sunday as the day that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is God's provenient grace on a nation where the government was trying to say there is no God, the people continued to talk, even in their own language, about the goodness of God and the love of God in the people's lives. I heard a story about a young girl. She was eight years old, as she, as she remembered in the story. She was eight years old at the time. And this young girl, uh, she said, you know, I don't remember anybody trying to convince me that there was not a God. She said, my parents, uh, in fact, at eight years old, she said, I... I can never recall ever having heard the name God, the word God. I never even had the thought at eight years old that there ever was a supreme being. No one had ever even mentioned that to me at eight years old. Can you imagine that? And this eight-year-old girl uh, one day went out onto the yard and was playing, and she laid down on the grass outside of her apartment. And she noticed on one of the blades of grass, as she lay there horizontally, she noticed on one of the blades of grass, there was an ant that was crawling up and down the blade of grass. And in that moment, she had a thought that she had never had before. It was, she said, as an adult, looking back, she said, it was as if someone touched my shoulder and said, I wonder, she had this thought for the first time, she said, I wonder if there's anybody bigger than me that's watching me like I'm watching this little ant. Again, God's provenient grace. Later in her life, she came to know Jesus Christ and she understood that there was somebody who was watching her, who loved her, who cared for her. This is God, again, through this Soviet Union, finding a way to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. There's a story I want to share with you from the scriptures. It's from uh, a passage in Second Samuel chapter 13 and 14. And before it goes onto the screen, this one verse I want to show, I want to tell you a little bit of the story. In Second Samuel verses chapters 13 and 14, the story is told, King David is the king. And King David, as you know, had many wives, and, and from those wives, many children, half-children from different wives. And there were two particularly that are a part of the story. One of them is uh, Absalom, and the other is Amnon. And chapter 13 tells a very specific story of something that Amnon did that was very bad. 
And the result was this anger that burned in Absalom, his half-brother's life. And this anger consumed Absalom so much that he looked for the right opportunity. And when it came, he killed Amnon. King David, the father, was a righteous king, a good king, a godly king. And King David knew that something had to happen to Absalom for what he had done because a good God would punish a sin like this. And so King David knew he had to do something. And so basically he kicks Absalom out of the palace and says, you're never going to see my face again. And Absalom leaves and King David is left alone. King David, as you can imagine, as a father who loves his sons, had lost one son, Amnon, to death. And now, even though Absalom was still alive, King David, as a father, was was missing his own son who's still alive, Absalom. And his army officer, Joab, notices that King David is is kind of sad and, and moping around the palace. And Joab sends for a wise woman from the town of Tekoa, He calls for her, and this wise woman comes, and this is what the wise woman does. She goes into the presence of King David, and she tells him a story. The story is something like this. She says, I have two sons. Uh, My two sons one day went out into a field, and they got into an argument. And one of my sons killed my other son. And now my family wants to make it right, and they want to kill my one remaining son for killing my other son. And if they kill my one remaining son, it will leave me without any children, and I'll die a destitute woman. And King David hears this. The story sounds a little bit like, if you remember, from Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. They go out into a field, one kills the other, then the one that's left alive says, oh no, people are going to try to kill me. And you remember what God does. God says, no, you're not going to be killed. I'm going to place my mark on you and you'll roam around this earth, but nobody's going to lay a hand on you. And King David, it's, it's not said in the scripture, but it's as if King David realizes that he can save this one man and still be a righteous king. And so he makes a decree to this wise woman, and he says, your one son that killed your other son, nobody will lay a finger on him. As order of the king, I will make sure that that one son lives. And this wise woman speaks then back to King David. And this is the verse I'd like for us to see At this time, 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. She says to King David, All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, He devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from Him. God just doesn't push us away, King David, like you're pushing. Absalom away. He doesn't just push us away. He figures out ways to bring us back to him when we've been separated from him. I've told you a number of stories already this morning of God figuring out ways to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. I could tell you the story of an 80-year-old woman who, from the United States back in 1993, picture the scene, 1993, just after the fall of the Soviet Union, and an 80-year-old widow in America in an American church 
began to feel God say to her, I want you to go as a missionary to Ukraine. 80 years old, a widow. This 80-year-old widow said yes to God. She sold what she had and she moved to a town called Khmelnytsky, Ukraine. It's a town about three hours outside of Kiev. And in that town, she didn't know Russian. She didn't understand Russian. Uh, She had never been a missionary. She didn't have a degree of any kind. She said, I've got to find people who can speak English, and I want to tell them about Jesus. And so this 80-year-old woman, for one year, she lived in Khmelnytsky, Ukraine, before she went back to America. And she just looked for anyone who could speak English. She came across a lady named Jana. Jana was an English teacher. And she began to share Christ with Jana. And before she left in that first year, she had led Jana to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Jana later, by her own personal witness, led her husband, Valera, to the Lord. Today, in 2013, Pastor Valera Sergikov is the pastor of the Church of Nazarene in Khmelnytsky, Ukraine. It was an 80-year-old woman that God had called in 1993 to go over to Khmelnytsky, Ukraine and share the gospel. And it led to one woman coming to faith. And now her husband is leading the church of the Nazarene in this town. It's God devising a way to bring people back when they've been separated from him. I could tell you the story of uh, a man named Igor. He was a single man from Sevastopol, Ukraine, in southern Ukraine, on actually a little peninsula uh, in the Black Sea. And at Sevastopol, this young man was, had become an alcoholic. He knew a lady named Anna, but he uh, was not in a relationship with her. She wanted nothing to do with him because of his alcoholism. And Igor came to a place where he realized his life was, was uh, ending. He wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't going to work. And he was ready to quit in life. But he heard about a rehabilitation center up in a town called Selashe, Ukraine, in the central portion of Ukraine. And he heard that there were people who got helped at this place. What he didn't know was that this was one of the six Nazarene drug and alcohol rehab centers. And he went up to this rehab center thinking he'd find some kind of psychological uh, training to help him with his alcoholism. What he found was that they were preaching that Jesus was the way that you would come out of alcoholism. And this man, Igor, came to faith in Jesus. He was only there for six months, but his life was radically changed. And Igor went back to Sevastopol, and Anna began to notice the difference in his life, and soon she came to faith, and they got married, Igor and Anna, and they now have a little boy named Marcus. I want you to hold that story for a second. About six months after Igor left Selashe, the rehab center, another man came. His name was Yoda. Yoda and his wife, Oksana, have a little boy, Artyom, and they were from Khmelnytsky, the, the town where the pastor had just come to Christ. And this town in Khmelnytsky, Yura had a horrible drug and alcohol problem. And his life had absolutely collapsed. And his wife, Oksana, took their little boy and said, I've had enough. And she left and she moved in with her parents. Yoda felt like he had hit bottom. And he heard about a drug and alcohol rehab center in Selashe. And so he took this trip to Selashe, Ukraine, and admitted himself, thinking he would find help there through some psychological program. What he found was that Jesus Christ could save his life and give him freedom. 
and Yura's life was radically changed. Yura stayed at this place for two full years. He became the leader of the Alcohol and Drug Rehab Center and was a strong leader there for two full years after his conversion. Yura continued to talk with his wife over time, through, over the phone, and he would try to get her to come down and go to church with him. And she didn't want any part of it, but he continued to ask, and he continued to ask, and one day she said, okay. They went to the church in Vinitsa, Ukraine, and the very first time Oksana entered those doors, she said, I had never met any people that would love somebody as much as, as the love I felt as I walked in that church. And that very first Sunday she was there, Oksana gave her heart to Jesus. God began to restore and bring their marriage back together and their family back together. And Yura began to feel, having never met Igor, the other man from Sevastopol, Yura began to feel that God was calling him to be a pastor, to plant the Church of the Nazarene in a town called Sevastopol. And Yura and his wife Oksana moved to Sevastopol and planted the Church of the Nazarene, and Igor and his wife, Anna, found out that there was going to be a Nazarene church in their town. And today, the two leading families in this small little church plant are the two families I've just told you about. This is God devising a way to bring people back to Him when they've been separated from Him. It's something that only He can do, bringing them back. I want to take just a moment and say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be your representative, a partner of yours, in the former Soviet Union. Uh, through your faithfulness, your faithful giving, your prayers, we, we discover people who've been praying for us that we've never met before. And through that kind of faithfulness, it is what enables us to continue to press on and share the faith of Jesus Christ with people across the former Soviet Union. And I want to take just a moment and say thank you. Uh, back in 2001, I had just finished seminary in Kansas City and was waiting on the beginning of my call in ministry uh, to go to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I was going to go on staff. And uh, there was a period of three months that my wife and I were blessed to be able to take a trip to Russia and we spent three months traveling around Russia and teaching pastors. It was a passion of mine. It was something that I wanted to give back. And uh, we knew missionaries that were there. And so we spent our first three months after seminary in Russia. And while we were there, uh, we were in Volgograd, Russia. Uh, Lonnie Norris, the missionary there at the time, had, felt, had heard, gotten a phone call from a pastor in a town called Rostov, Russia. Rostov is a, is a town of about a million people in southern Russia. And this pastor said, you know, I've got a church that I'm pastoring. Uh, we've heard about the church of the Nazarene, and we're interested in knowing more about who you are and maybe becoming a Nazarene church. And so Lonnie said, well, we're going to come and visit you. And Jenny and I happened to be there at the time. And, and he said, would you come with us to Rostov on this first voyage to find out who these people are? And my wife and I went. There's a lot to that story. But on that first time we arrived in Rostov, something happened in my wife and I's heart in that, little t in that, in that city. Um, we felt so connected with these people. I didn't know what was going on. I just said, Jenny, I don't know what it is, but there's some kind of connection with these people. And from that day, through the years of pastoral ministry in the United States, we would pray for the people of Rostov. We were only there 24 hours we would pray for these people. 
Um, last fall, I went and was a part of the pastoral training time, and it was in Rostov. And for the first time after all those years, I got to see those people. The church is now running close to 200 people. God is blessing it. It's a strong, healthy, vibrant church. And uh, it was wonderful to see the pastor again and spend time with them. But uh, while we were there, that church has been planting other churches. And one of the churches that it's planted, the pastor's name is Pastor Slava. Uh, There's a really strong core group that's a part of this church. And they they have been going into rented facilities. And as they meet in these facilities, God blesses them and they begin to grow. But in Russia, there's a lot of persecution to the church there. Uh, The mentality of leaders is that if a church is not the Russian Orthodox Church, it's a sect. It's it's wrong. And so the Church of Nazarene falls into that category, according to some of the people. And so there's pressure that gets put on the church. As the church has begun to grow in two different examples, the church begins to grow in this small, in this town, Rostov, and uh, the owners of the building where they're renting have asked them to leave because of all the commotion that it's bringing, and the people disperse, and it's happened twice. And so they took us, uh, the pastor Slava and the other pastor Vasily, took us to a, a location, and they said, we believe that God wants us to have this land. On this land, there's already a building. It's a, it's a very large home, um, and the property is uh, estimated at $200,000. And uh, I was there with Dr. Crocker, who was our regional director and is now one of our general superintendents, and Lonnie Norris. And together, all three of us came away saying, we believe that God wants this church to have this property. But after about six months, nothing happened. There was no movement, nothing going on. And I was praying for that church in Rostov and Pastor Slava. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to do something about this. And what the Lord put on my heart was that during our general assembly time and then also this trip, which I already knew was coming, uh, that the Lord said to us that we don't want you to receive one penny for your deputation, for your ministry, that God would take care of that. But that during that that trip and this trip, that we should raise funds for Rostov. Um, In our time back at general assembly, uh, we preached at four different churches And the Lord has blessed us, and we've raised $120,000 for this church. Uh, We have a long way still to go. And from what I felt like is my resources have come to an end. The ones that I uh, knew about, the people that I made contact with, um, I'm feeling the end of that situation. And But I'm still trusting. I believe that God wants this. He began it, and I know he's going to do it. And so by faith, uh, we're moving forward. So the offering today that's taken... Uh, not one penny. Please don't come to me and, and give money, which a lot of times happens to Nazarene missionaries. Do not do it. I won't take it. Um, I want it to go all to Rostov uh, to be faithful to the Lord with what he asked me. Um, and so as you do that today, uh, please uh, give to Rostov and let, allow the Lord to bless that. Here's what I want to say in closing. It's possible that someone here today, I know on the morning service, early service, that many of you already know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it's possible that someone here today does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want you to hear today what this passage says. This passage says that God is devising a way to bring you back to Him 
when you've been separated from him. Today is a part of that plan that God has made to bring you back, to draw you back into him. I also know that there, as there are some older uh, folks in the church today, that there are some grown children that you have that do not know Jesus Christ, and it breaks your heart, and you've prayed for them, you've cried over them, and I want you to hear this passage today. The Lord Jesus is bringing them back to him that have been separated from him. He's a part. He's doing this work. He's wooing your children. And you can trust the scriptures that say this is the character of God. He is bringing people back to him who've been separated from him. And then lastly, I know that there would be people here who, who feel the call of God on their life. And they know that they're supposed to be a part of something and it seems scary to you to do something outside of the, the comfort zone. I want you to know that God is devising a way to bring people back to him. And you know how he does it? He does it through us. We become his hands and his feet who go and draw people back through his spirit. We bring people and introduce them to Jesus Christ. And he wants you to do it. The question is, is are you willing to say yes to him? I want to be one of those people when we hear the voice of God that we say yes. Yes now. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the strength that you give. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the blessing of following you. I pray, Lord, that you would call us to, uh, to something that requires all of us. And that requires us to rely completely on you. Lord, We want to do something that's bigger than what uh, we could do with our own hands. We want to be a part of what you're doing. So have your way, Jesus. Use us to bring people back to you that have been separated from you. Lord, help us to have confidence that you're reaching loved ones of ours, that you're drawing them back, and, and we want to pray believing that you're going to reach these people and help us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, thank you for the examples, the many examples of you drawing people back And Lord, I think of Rastav and this church, and I know that you are going to use, you have and are going to continue to use this church to draw people to yourself. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to reach the goals that are needed so that this church can be built and planned and developed and not stop from its growth, that it would grow and grow and grow and plant and plant and reach new people and bring people back to you who've been separated from you. We love you and we trust you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.